Hi, welcome to the I Heart Africa Project podcast. This is episode number three. Hi, my name is Nikki. I run the I Heart Africa Project. I love Africa. It is a very special place to me. And so I'm putting together this project to showcase Africa in a very real capacity, providing insights into Africa from the perspectives of those who love the continent. It's residents, wildlife heroes, conservationists, photographers, rangers, guides and tourists who all share their experiences and their love of this beautiful continent. And on today's episode, I'm chatting with Jerry Vanderwalt. Jerry is the co-founder of WildEye, a private safari company run out of Johannesburg, South Africa. With more than 15 years experience as a field guide and lodge manager, Jerry is a natural expedition and tour leader and private safari host. He is also a public speaker, a wonderful wildlife photographer, a podcast host, private safari guide, and that is just a few of the hats he wears. His sense of humour, his knowledge of the bush, knowledge of African wildlife, and zest for life makes him a truly remarkable character. And on that note, I'd like to introduce Jerry Vanderwalt. Jerry, for those listening, can you please introduce yourself, tell us where you're from, and a little bit about yourself. Wow, okay, my name is Jerry van der Volt. I am from Johannesburg, South Africa, and I own and run a company called Wild Eye, through which we do photographic and specialist guiding throughout Africa and the world. Okay, so growing up in South Africa must have been interesting. Do you recall what your favorite family vacation was you went on as a child with your family? Well, I think it, it, it would be one of two, because South African kind of, when you grow up, you have two main holidays. You've got the December holidays, which used to be beach, so we would go down to Cape Town and visit family there. But then your April, June, July, if you had holidays there, you would go to the bush. And normally that would be a self-drive to the Kruger National Park. So, I mean, I remember way back with the folks getting in the car like at four in the morning, you hit the long road. It was about a five, six-hour drive, all these stops in between. But Kruger for me, I mean, I grew up from three, four years of age. And that was, I think, where the love for... Not, not just the African bush, but for nature as a whole started. And we would, for a week at a time, we'll stay at the different rest camps in the Kruger. And the one thing that sticks with me from then is my mom and my two sisters would kind of fall asleep in the vehicle or they'd stay back. But my dad and I would literally drive the whole day looking for stuff. And I think that to me stands out from a young age. It was those Kruger trips, the road trip, and just kind of spending time out there. It's magical. Yep. Do you have a favorite rest stop in Kruger? Wow. Um, I must be honest, I haven't done the Kruger National Park myself for quite some time. Back then, it was kind of lower Sabi, mm-hmm. but I know now it's a bit, it's way more busy. Uh, the last time I went there, probably Satara, Olifants, the more, more to the central areas. Yep. Uh, and I would, if I go back now, I would work further north, yep. up towards Chinguetzi, those up in the north. But yeah, and, and when I was a kid, lower Sabi for me was the bomb. Loved it. Yeah. Where does your passion yeah. for wildlife photography come from? Or what was the moment yeah. you decided you wanted to pursue wildlife photography as a career? Have you always been passionate about wildlife? Mm, um, I think you have to go a long way to find someone from South Africa who's not got at least some passion for the bush. So I grew up with that. And then I was doing gymnastics internationally. And during my off season, so kind of um, out of Olympic cycles and that, we would have off time. So I went to do, purely because I was interested in it, guiding courses. So mammals, birds, field guiding and stuff like that. The guy said to me at the time, why don't you 
why don't you do the guiding exam? I said, dude, I'm not interested. Just whatever, man. I don't want to do it. <laughs> and he kept on going. And eventually, I just wrote the exam. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, I worked on cruise ships managing health and wellness. That's where photography started. So my photography started more from a travel and kind of street photography kind of thing. I did a course with New York Institute of Photography uh, correspondence while I was working on the ships. Long story fast forward again. When I then came back after all of that, I got offered a lodge management position with my wife. And that's when photography and wildlife kind of collided. And I remember the day I was I was in between all of this. I was, we, we accepted the job at the lodge. It was in Medikwe. But we went to Pilansburg with my folks. And I had this little Sony point-and-shoot number. I can't even remember the model name. But I was sitting at the hide at Kwamaritani. And there was a little pied kingfisher diving into the water. And it became like an obsession for me to try and catch this thing. And I think that was the moment when nature and photography, because I had these photography skills kind of new mm-hmm. and knowledge and all of that at that moment, I think the image I got, and it was, look, if I look back now, it's a horrible image, but it was for me at the time, it was amazing. <laughs> but yeah. that moment for me, I think that's where it kind of kicked off. And then being in the lodge management and guiding industry for a while, that kind of cemented the whole thing, leading and, and yeah, just pulled everything together. Oh, nice, nice. So you just returned from three weeks in Kenya where you did um, Ambassili and you did spend some time in the Mara. Yes. Now, I have a question about those two places. Sure. What sets them apart from each other? Everything. So the Mara is super diverse in the photographic opportunities you can make, but you have to take time because the environment there, most of it is these rolling hills. It's the Africa that most people grow up with. So if you ask even an American or someone from Britain, what is Africa? Show me in a book. They'll show you a picture of the Masai Mara. It's these rolling hills with the lone tree and a giraffe under it and that kind of stuff. So the Mara is obviously known for the Great Migration, the, the whole spectacle of the wildebeest and the river, but it's, it's an open area where Amboseli, it's a very small reserve in the bigger picture, and there you've got, I mean, just naming off the top, you've got the marsh areas, you've got the forests, the woodlands, you've got little plains, and you've got the lake. So from from an ecological point of view and a photographic background point of view, the two are dramatically diverse. So if you are looking for clean images of, for example, predators, lions and leopards, the Masamara lends itself to that because you've got no background in some areas. If you park correctly, you've got no background. So you get these creamy smooth backgrounds behind portraits mm-hmm. where Amboseli is more a place where you have to shoot the environment with a subject in it because it is so diverse and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, people, and, and the mistake a lot of people make just on the back end of your question is they think, you know, I've been on one safari, I'm not going back. And you think, come on. You can go to the same place and never have the same experience. But if you start comparing places, Masamora, Ambassadi, Samburu, Tavo, uh, if you come down south, Monopool, everything is different. Oh, yeah. But between those two that you mentioned, they are they d- dramatically different. It's, it's beautiful. I've heard you say that if you are an avid birder, head to Ambassadi. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the ecosystem there has changed quite a, while, quite a bit the last two, two years. Is it two years? Uh, what are we now, 2019? Yeah, from about 2016, there was massive raids. And what was normally open, dusty plains around the lodges in the middle mm-hmm. of the central area is now basically a marshland or a swamp. So the amount of pelicans, flamingos, water birds, waders, raptors that you find in Amboseli is ridiculous. So it is magnificent for birding right now. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Is that yeah. male lion scar still around? Because he's getting on in age, isn't he? Jeez, he is still right. Yeah, he's he's so there's mixed things out there. But we spoke to the rangers. He's somewhere between eleven and thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he is still 
he's not dominant anymore. Yeah. But he was spotted about I'm going to lie to you now five days ago, uh, close to the pump house in the Mara Triangle down from Serena Lodge. So pretty much, if you look at the Mara Triangle north to south, yeah, on the river halfway. So he is still around. He, him, and his brothers cross the river quite a bit. So there's four of them. And they're crossing forward and back because they've got pressure from all sides from different prides. Yeah. But for the last for the last two years, we've been saying this is the last year we're seeing him. This is the last. He just keeps on ticking. He's a machine. Absolutely incredible animal. Yeah. And your um, when you do some of your vlogs, when you're in the Mara <clears throat> camp, you have that huge portrait of him in the background, and that's just absolutely wonderful. Oh yes, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think it's those kind of iconic animals that pop once in a while. Mm-hmm. There's the iconic male leopards. There. There's like in Amicelli, you get Tim, who's this massive tusker. It's those iconic animals, and even if they're just a catalyst for someone to start paying attention, and that gets them to Africa, I think they've done their job. So, yeah, Scar's just one of those. He's amazing. Hey, Absolutely. So, you are a co-founder of Wild Eye South Africa. Mm-hmm. What was your motivation behind starting Wild Eye? The industry needed it, I think. The, the reason we started this was I was managing lodges at the time, and I was running what was called Photo Africa, which was my own photographic company, similar to Wild Eye, but it was just me, which I was running in conjunction with, with lodges. And looking around the industry, uh, when I met John, and then we eventually started this thing. Yeah. So our goal, and when we sat down, we started brainstorming what we wanted to do, was to kind of bring the fun back, bring the sexy back, bring just the, the energy back, and to, to also take the intimidation away from people who would like to do it but have never thought it was possible. Mm-hmm. So, so that whole, and that's an ethos still now. I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing new guides next week, Tuesday, and that is still the ethos that we're trying to keep. It's it's fun, it's energetic. Even though it's photographic, it's not about the end photo. It's about the experience of the photography. Yeah. So, so that whole mindset is since day one and it's something we still try and keep enforcing now. It's, it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. So after listening and following along closely to your Wild Eye podcast, the ethics yeah. and st- sustainability that you have towards wildlife, safari, photography and nature, it is praiseable. Why is that important to you that anyone, not just guides, have a code of ethics yeah. and a certain level of respect when it comes to viewing wildlife? Look, I, I think if you take it back to the basics, if we don't, the system's going to crash. Mm-hmm. It's just as simple as that. It's, it is fragile. The one thing that, that, that we focus on, and it's a question I got on Instagram two days ago, is what are we doing for conservation? We we do, like we, we had a fundraiser now for Panthera. Saw that. Around yep. the Lion King thing, so that was one thing. If you don't take an ethical approach, for example, if it says no off-roading, don't off-road because there's a reason for it. If the animal goes away, don't push it because you are breaking. There's so many small pieces to this big system. Yeah. That, and yes, it might just be one incident, but one incident leads to two, leads to 10, 15, 30, and 100. And it is not a sustainable thing, especially in Southern Africa, which is fenced. So, yes. so all the animals are fenced in, right? Because of it's just how the system works. And in that contained system, you cannot mess around with off-roading where you want, pushing the animals too hard, doing things that are unethical. Um, um, the thing that comes to mind, for example, is in Chobe and in Lake Naivasha in Kenya, they do a lot of baiting of fish eagles. Now, there's in, in Chobe specifically at Elephant Bay, there's a, a pair of fish eagles and then three or four um, of their offspring couples, if you will. Yep. These things are so habituated that you can be guaranteed to get the shot. Now, people go there to get the shot, but if it's someone's first time, they think that's the norm. 
Yeah. And they're expecting that from their next guide at the next place they go to. This guide might not be strong enough or ethical enough to say, no, listen, Sarah, that is not going to happen. And then it starts happening with bigger species and bigger species. It's it's an unwritten rule for me that if you go out there, the wildlife is first. Now, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, I've said this in the past, we are here, it's a privilege for us just to go out there. You should witness wildlife in their natural habitat, doing what they do normally, and you shouldn't change their behavior. If you do those things, whether it's just safari or photographic, you've done your job. Then it's ethical. Mm. The moment you affect behavior, you fail. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's just the, the system cannot keep on, especially with the amount of people that are coming into these areas. It cannot be sustained if we keep on, not we, if some people keep on doing what they do. It, it, it's just a no-brainer. Absolutely. What is the dumbest thing you have witnessed a tourist do while on safari? And let's not make this in relation to wild eye, per se. Let's mm. make it... Yeah. The entire time of your guiding at lodges as well, what is the dumbest thing you've seen a tourist do or attempt to do while on safari? Okay, three come to mind immediately. Uh, the first one, I was I think it was one of my first trips that I since Wild Eye, right? So I was hosting a photographic trip in Madikwe. Yeah. And I was, so we got to lions, they're sleeping, they just doing what they do, they sleep. We're waiting for the wake up because the light's nice, blah, blah, blah. A vehicle pulls up next to us, also guy, well, not not guided like with me on it, but just a normal safari lodge vehicle. Mm-hmm. And these people are sitting there, and the guide literally. I mean, I'm not going to comment on him, but he wasn't amazing. And they stopped there, and eventually we're sitting, and we hear something like hit the hit the the, the shrub just behind the lions. We're like, what the hell? A little while happens again. These people were throwing ice what? at the lion to try and wake them up because ice will melt, and there won't be any proof. So I obviously lost my, my I lost my toys, and I kind of told them what I thought, which is, and the guide as well. So I, that was a separate incident. So there, um, in the Kruger once, I saw this is many years ago. It was on a self drive thing with my folks. We there was a leopard behind a bush. You know, some of the roads are tarred yep. in the Kruger, right? Yep, yep. And just off the road, there was this big. I think it was a big raisin bush, but a big one, and there was a leopard just behind it. Mm-hmm. Now in the Kruger, that means there's like forty vehicles. Yeah, everybody's waiting and jostling for spots. This one guy comes through. Yeah, you can, he's kind of checking what's going on, what's going on. He's asking people. He hears there's this spotted cat, the leopard, behind the bush. He, I, I kid you not, he drives slowly and he pushes his nose of the vehicle, a big white Hilux bucky, pushes it into the bush until the leopard runs out the other side. Him and his friend like, yeah, we saw it. And then they drive off. Oh. I mean, <laughs> come on. No comment. There's endless stories. It is sad, sad, sad that, I mean, and the thing for me is, even if you are not an animal expert, you haven't done a guiding course or you're not a biologist, you can look at an animal and see in broad terms whether it's stressed or angry or nervous. People don't react. It, 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 no, Nikki, it's bizarre. It's, it is stupid what happens out there. It is oh, really mad. I just, um, I have quite a few stories and uh, I just <clears throat> shake my, there's no words. There's no words for these people. Just, no, there's none. Nothing. No, nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. Of course, <laughs> next I'm going to ask you about your tented camp yes. in the Mara. Because yes. that camp to me seems like somewhere I would call home. So what oh, is... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What is it about the Mara that holds a certain magic for you and why did you pick the Maasai Mara for your tented campsite? So we were never going to do a tented campsite to start with, but the very first trip that Wild Eye ever took was to the Mara. It was still a spillover. So I arranged a Maasai Mara safari as a part of Photo Africa, my previous company. Mm-hmm. And in between me booking the thing and filling it up with guests, 
and running the trip while that happened. So that just became the, the first wild eye trip. So Jono was on there with me and Andrew asked to co-guide. So after the first three days, so we, we, we come from bush, right? We've, we've been to all the bush places in Southern Africa and and that. Within the first three days, we sat one day having a beer and I said to Jono, this is ridiculous. The, the, the amount of wildlife and the space and the visual beauty thereof was amazing. And the thing that they were lacking was a proper hospitality, like lodge hospitality. Yep. And that was my background. That's Andrew's background. John, I came from the service industry. So long story short, we spoke to the guys who arranged the camp for us. And we flew one of them out. And literally the very next year, we started the camp. It yep. was from a business point of view, it was a really dumb decision. Uh, because we were just in our first year. We weren't even making money yet. But we financed the camp. That's how strongly we felt about it. Mm-hmm. And since then, every single year, let me just check. Yeah, every single year since then, we've upgraded or did something else. But we're stopping ourselves of 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 trying to turn it into a luxury lodge because it's not. Yeah. It's authentic camping. Mm-hmm. And look, you've got your creature comforts. Make no mistake. It's super comfortable. But there's something. It's the location on the river. It's the old school kind of tented camps with the luxury. So the hot water bottle in your bed at night type thing. The the scented warm towels when you come back from game drive. Those things are all there. But when you sit around the campfire, it literally feels like you're 100 years ago in the bush. There's the Maasai staff. There's there's the energy myself and our guys into in, in injecting the whole thing. But the experience and why it's special for me, and we've actually stopped ourselves of trying to find out what it is and just leave it because it's kind of the, the sum of all the parts type. It's just there's an X factor that works. And I, I think if we're going to dig down too deep, if we analyze it to the nth degree, I think we might hurt the product. So it's beautiful right now and we're doing what we can to maintain it. Is it perfect? No, there's glitches like with any camp, but the way that it gets dealt with and the Maasai guys are so real and we bring the kind of the, the humor and just the energy to it and the food is amazing. So it's it's literally a bit of everything mm-hmm. and nothing at all, if that makes sense. It's, it's just, it's a beautiful merger of everything. It's stunning. Yeah, it certainly holds <laughs> a magic and uh, uh, your vlog updates from there are really great, but I really like awesome. um, the <laughs> candid moments you capture on camera. Uh, in particular, oh, when <laughs> I can't remember the, his name, but your Wi-Fi had cut out and you sent him up the tree <clears throat> and he was telling us... Oh, a, my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one. I Yes, I had, oh, I had, I, <laughs> I had to stop it running. Yeah. I think it's the candid conversation with the team at the Mara Camp that you have. It's the people <clears throat> that you film, their intrigue, their personalities, their light. 100%. Including yourself, that has such an incredible pull on others, and it definitely makes me want to jump on a plane and come and say hi. Oh, I love that. I love that. But if, you, if you haven't yet, we posted a video a couple of days ago. Marlon did of his recent week. Now that I mean, it's 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 a funny thing. We can't do that all the time because not all guests want to be on camera. You know what I mean? But this group of guests, they jailed one. They were in for it. But to to see, I mean, I almost broke into tears in the office here because to see a guest not even be able to speak two sentences about the camp without breaking into tears. That's what it's about. Mm. That's what it's about. I broke into no, tears. Awesome. It is really special, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. It really is. Yeah, I, I actually did watch that because I saw it come up um, through your um, your story. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I jumped on and watched it and I had to pause it because it just... That's beautiful. It, it, was, it was beautiful. <laughs> it, it just invoked <laughs> the spirit of what I'm trying to do <laughs> in a different context and to see it. that... People like this lady, she got it. She got it. Mm. You know, it's, it was just, it was so soul invoking. It was yeah. just wonderful. 
it's just a real. I mean, as an example, so Dixon, you might you must know, he's my camp manager there. Oh yes, uh, a legend of a man, and more than more often than not, when we say goodbye on the last day. Now, for me, it's different. I'm saying goodbye to friends and family, like literally like family, because I'm coming back. But for people who come there as a one-off. And I must be honest, very few people come once off. They keep coming back. But on the last day, when you say goodbye, I mean, people break into tears when they hug these people goodbye. Mm-hmm. And just to give you an idea how, so we, at, at lodges in the past, I would run training courses with, at five-star lodges with like cutlery everywhere and all thing. I would run training courses on staff on how to do service. Yep. Here we didn't. We kept it real. So to the point where a couple of years ago, we had a guy out, beautiful guy from Europe, just an amazing man. He came out. And on the last day, he hugs Dixon goodbye and he breaks into tears. Now, this is a fully grown man in his 50s, like top of his game business. He breaks into tears. So Dixon, being as real as he is, he says, no, no, stop that. Real men don't cry. <laughs> and I'm standing off to the side. I'm like, oh, don't tell him that. Just, But but it's that kind of, it, it, it's a beautiful, awkward kind of love and caring that happens. Mm-hmm. It's all of those little moments that pull it together. Yeah, it, it, it really is special. Hey? It's, a, it's a special place. Yeah, and I think um, please keep sharing those candid moments because 100%. it is it is upping the intrigue for people to mm. see the real side, not just the the PR and the marketing side of like your sure. podcast, but the candid <clears throat> moments where, like yeah. you said, he got bit on the balls. <laughs> like those moments I, I are just. My chair when you started telling that, eh? It, it wasn't. Was so good. Yeah, he had he had to tell you that. Um, it's th- mm. it's those moments that make you more real to people through a screen than... 100%. Yeah. 100%. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So while I've got you on that subject, let's talk about guest mm. expectations versus the reality yeah. of going on a safari. And yeah. then the reality of the safari, not meeting the client's expectations, <laughs> how do you deal with something like that? And what do you say to any tourist or client that is going on safari that has certain expectations of like certain sightings they want to see or certain wildlife they want to see how do you combat yeah. that because that's never guaranteed so i think it's a great question and it's something that i think i've touched on podcasts as well but here's the thing is when i was working at lodges when all my guys were working at lodges people will arrive having booked the trip but maybe not having had communication with the lodge or the guide before they get there mm-hmm. and then they, they've watched that geo and that's what they want to see out the gate <laughs> yep. what we're lucky with is even if someone books cold, if they just find Instagram, they go to the website, they book a trip. My team gets in touch. So Judy gets in touch with the general information. Closer to the time, and when, when you book a trip, as you'll see, then you get engagement from your guide. And by the time, and this is a great thing by the, with, with social media, by the time you hit the ground for whatever trip you are, you've at least had two or three Skypes. Yep. There's email. So I know exactly what you want to see by the time you get there, but also... I would have had that conversation with you. It's not, you, you don't get there cold. And a lot of the time, I mean, some of the inquiries would be, for example, hey, I want to book a Mara trip, but can I do a day trip to the Kruger? Or you could say, I, I want to come to Swabi Sands to stay at Mala Mala for a private guided trip, but can I do one day of gorilla? So there's a, there's a output. one of our big things is education. But by the time people hit the ground with us, we've had the engagement, we've had the conversations, mm. we've managed their expectations, and it's it's not a not a thing of of over promise, under deliver, under deliver, over promise. It's none of that. It's just we tell them straight: is look, the stuff you see on my website. If you go and look at the galleries, I'm not showing you all the heroes. I'm showing you everything. That this is what you could potentially see when you come there. We could go there and we could shoot the lights out and hell could break loose in a good way right mm-hmm. yep. or we could go to Mala Mala and not see a leopard that can happen yeah. but 
the, the managing of guest expectations for us, and that's what my office team does very well, and that my guys, guides do before and during a trip. Like, for example, at the Mara, um, my first week this year, we didn't see a crossing. It was just, it's my first safari in eight years, and I've done lots to the Mara where I didn't see a crossing. But people book to see the crossing. However, I've had the conversation with them. On day one at the camp, we sit down, Dixon does the brief of the camp stuff. I then run them through how the migration works, and you manage that out of the gates. Yeah. Otherwise, you're setting it up for disappointment. So, and if, if and I think that people appreciate it because with managing the expectations comes education. Yes. And that, that's the important thing. Yeah. I know from experience that you can drive all day and not see anything, depending on what area you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I guess if you're not putting down that camera and not absorbing the experience, you're going to miss it completely. 100%. So, let's talk about two things firstly. The video that's yeah. circulated on Instagram and we're going to touch yes. touch on this very briefly because it could be right. a couple of hours of conversation. Um, sure. So the video that circulated on Instagram of a cheater, and I think you know what yeah. I'm going to say. Um, yeah. There was one. So there was one a while ago that was inside a safari yes. and he was destroying the headrest. Secondly, yes, there was another video. There was two cheaters, <laughs> and they were jumping <clears throat> inside the vehicle. Uh-huh. They were both safari vehicles. So I already yeah. know your opinion on the matter. So for those who are listening that don't understand, quickly fill them in on why this is so wrong. Also, why you yeah. should not expect this when you come on safari and why you should be that person that says this is wrong. 100%. I mean, the, the, like I said earlier on, is our job is to look at animals doing what they do naturally mm-hmm. in their natural environment without affecting their behavior. Yeah. Now, if an animal jumps, and, and that's the one side of it, is you can tell when he's going to jump on your vehicle because they use it, cheetahs do this, they get on termite mounds and high things for view. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had it now in the in the Mara, it happened again, they approached, we drove away. Yeah. Because you know it's going to happen. The moment you start blurring that line of animals touching your vehicle and then what's the next step? There was yeah. one where a tourist girl also had the cheetah kind of nibbling on her hair and she's like, oh, this is so amazing. No, you're an idiot. <laughs> you could be injured or hurt and then what's going to happen then we blame the cheetah and we have to put the cheetah down because he hurt a human it's not right the problem is i think a lot of safari companies and guides but more in-field guides use that kind of experience because it is such a saturated world out on social media that we used to a lion picture a cheetah picture they want that kind of sensational stuff for bragging rights oh look what happened on my safari but it is wrong on every single level yeah oh, no, it's fine but it's just walking on the roof okay what if that thing slips because i've seen these things walk on the roof and then it half slips because it's slippery that thing now falls into the vehicle with four guests what's going to happen a serious incident and then we're going to blame the cheetah and probably put it down it's just something that should not happen where does it stop though i mean if it's a cheetah is it okay what if a leopard wants to jump on your car okay why not make a lion jump on your car you know where do we draw the line it just should not it's unethical at its core and it's just it it's terrible it should not be happening yeah i don't know about the nibbling on the hair thing because I don't... That's too close for comfort for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You see, it's a lack of education. Yeah. That's the, I mean, someone booking... And literally, I'll, if I remember, I'll try and send it to you on Instagram. But there's the things on the roof, and she's out, and there's things like nibbling on air, and she's like, someone's videoing, oh, it's so amazing, and this is such a good experience. No, it's not a good experience. You're being stupid and unethical, and even worse, your guide should not put you in that position. 
Number okay. one, the cheetah should not be on the car. Number two, you as the guide who's responsible for the safety yeah. and education and well-being of your guests is now allowing a wild animal, a predator, to nibble on your client's hair because it's cute. Yeah. Come on. So, how can this be avoided in the areas where these cats are so habituated to vehicles that nine times out of ten they are likely to get on one? How can you avoid Drive this? Away. It's not difficult. I mean, and you, even like I said, if you don't understand animal behavior, you can look at a cheetah and see that it's walking and looking up at the vehicle with intent. Yeah. One of two things either bang on the side of the door, give it a fright so it runs away, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. Or, and I've said this, I can think off the top of my head. Four, maybe three or four times that I've told my guides back up now turn the car on drive away yeah if you, if, I did a podcast with Johan where we spoke about it and he had videos of the thing jumping on the back wheel and then they left they, they made it get off and they drove away it's not difficult you yeah. can 100% there's no situation because cheetahs don't hunt in thick bush. Yeah. You're not going to be parked in thick bush and then miraculously there's a cheetah on your vehicle. It's in the open. You can see them coming. You're watching them. So, no, 100% you can do something every single time. So, I'm not a very good singer, Jerry, but oh dear. For, yes. the <laughs> for this next question, <laughs> I, I don't yes. know where this, this came to me, but it just came to me. Yeah? I made up a song okay. to go with the next question. And I'm not about oh, to wow. sing it to you because every listener will okay. squirm to block the eardrums. But <laughs> but it's a remake of the Ghostbusters theme song. And it goes, oh. okay, please don't plug your ears. <laughs> if there's okay, so- no, no, okay no, ready? You ready? Okay. If there's something strange <laughs> in your tent tonight, who are you going to call? Jerry! <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and is there a music video with this? Because that could be very interesting. Well, um... <laughs> I don't know. I think you'd probably make one. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So, so the question that actually goes with that. Okay. So for all the people out there who are hesitant to come on safari because they're afraid of creepy crawlies, what is the likelihood of having a scorpion or a snake visit in a tent at the Mara camp? So I know I can answer that very easily. In so I started the camp in 2011 or 12, I think. Mm-hmm. First couple of years with three. We must have done in excess of 100, 150 safari, weeks safaris there. We have never had a snake in a, in, a, in a tent. Not once. In all that time, we've only had one snake even in the camp. Yeah. Because they don't want you. They yeah. move away from us. There's housekeeping who comes in. The Maasai walking around doing showers. We're in and out. So... Not once. Um, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But this is the same thing as I'm not going to go to the movie tonight because what if I get in an accident while driving there? Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just you, you, you're putting all these things. You must remember that you are in the wild. Mm. However, as with us preparing everything to double down your chances of having amazing sightings, the same thing happens at camp. It gets clean all the time. The housekeepers go in. Um, scorpions in the Mara, because I'm trying to think up, I can't think of ever having even seen a scorpion in the morrow, you know what I mean? And Vaseli, there's more, but there we stay in lodges. Yeah. So no, it's, can you get a spider or an insect or a mosquito? Sure. But I mean, that's a very small price to pay, which it's not going to do anything to you for the experience you're going to get. Yeah. It, it's, yeah it's, I, think, I think people, they overthink that side of it. It's such a small downside. I mean, this year alone, I've been in my morrow camp for a total of like five weeks. And I think I might have killed seven mosquitoes in all those weeks, which is a six weeks at a time. Nothing else in the tent. So 
And I think some people use that as a reason not to even look at the opportunity they can have of going on safari. And that's sad. It yeah. really is. In one of your podcasts, though, you did mention mm. that you had lions yeah. walking through the tented campsite. Yes. Yes. Did you have guests staying that night? Did they realise? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. And what was their initial reaction or response? So, so it's happened in the last while we've had, because the camp, we got that campsite just as a bit of history, because it, it's a crossing spot for the wildebeest, but it's a very treacherous one. Mm-hmm. So we got that campsite because the Mara Triangle tried to block these things off. The reason they crossed there is some of the vehicles we spoke about earlier on would force them to that area. So we put the camp there to stop that. So the pride in the area have gone, I think three times I can think of, they've been through. Um, the first time, the first time was... They just saw them in the evening and they kind of left again, nothing major. The only time that, that, that it, it kind of influenced guests, the one lady decided to stay back on this particular morning, as luck would have it. So everybody gets up at 5.30, you meet at 6, you go, you leave at 6.30 on game drive. She decided to sleep. And at 7 o'clock, she got uh, woken by the pride base, well, seven females calling around her tent, roaring. <laughs> Not at her, just roaring, right? Yep. So, yeah, she has stories to tell. But she then would, um, she just started calling for Dixon. The Maasai came, came, chased them away, end of story. Yeah. So, again, it's the kind of, and it's unfortunately the sensationalism of these things is what drives a lot of people's fear. And it's not that. If you see them in the day and you clap your hands, you shout, you run at them, they probably will run away. Yeah. But pe- people think it's it's the ghost in the darkness. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say. they're going to come and fetch you and drag you off to their cave. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It yeah. doesn't happen that way. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know many people would instantly refer to the moments in the movie of the ghost in the darkness where people were dragged 100%. from their tents and eaten. However, yes. that was in Savo and that was in yeah. late 1800s. 100%. <laughs> but when this happens, so like that lady who had the yeah. who was surrounded by her tent because she stayed behind, um, me, yes. what is the first reaction of staff? And there's no safety is- issue, obviously, unless the guest puts himself no. in a position where it would be. No, but the staff is, there's always massive stuff. These guys are as chill with wildlife as you've ever seen. Nothing yeah. scares them. They will just chase them away. So not a problem. But so no, there's, there's very, 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 very few incidences that a guest could do anything unless they're really silly about it yeah. that would escalate a situation like that based on the staff being there the tents and stuff like that so no. yeah all right so let's talk about time of year and where to go so yes. if i was to say uh-huh. to you i want to come to africa in spring so in east Af- so southern africa this time of year through winter spring is great so Matikwe, Malamala, Swabi sands the whole thing uh, even into Botswana because it's after the dry season yep. and most animals congregate on water holes. So pretty much anything in Southern Africa is good this time of year. East Africa now, August, September, which is also kind of spring, is migration obviously is on the go, so that's a big draw card. Gorillas is pretty solid this time of year yep. because it's before the heavy rains. So spring, our winter and spring in Africa is good pretty much anywhere. You can literally just rock up and you'll have a great time. Okay, and so what about the rainy season, like through summer? If someone could only come during summer, your summer, where would you would you take someone during summer, and where would you would you suggest to go? Hundred percent. So I mean, we are looking at a more a lot of more green season safari. So green season stuff would be very, obviously very green. It could be rainy, muddy roads. You can't go everywhere. It's thick bush, but the visuals is great. More birds 
Uh, the type of images you can create is different. So you would probably look at South Luangwa is great. Monopool shuts down with roads. You can't go there. South Africa, again, Monomala, Swabi Sands is always great. Uh, very different. Gorillas, you could do in the rainy season as long as you're happy to get very, very, very wet. Uh, East Africa, I wouldn't go between kind of uh, April and May. That's when there's heavy rain. So unless, you, unless you're a hardcore photographer wanting a sh- uh, particular shot of a lion shaking, maybe, but I would probably go more more Southern Africa that time of year for the green season stuff. Okay. So Zambia, Botswana, South Africa. Yeah. So, so your wildlife and photographic safaris that you offer, yeah. it seems to me like you offer quality over quantity. Yes. How important was that feature to you? The, the biggest thing is people ask why we go to Monopools now or this. And every single one of the trips from Svalbard to Jaguars to Monopools to migration, we've timed it in those areas. So the scheduled departures are putting you in that place when we think it's the best time. So uh, do I want to run more? Yes, but for, for that two things need to happen, I would need more guides. So if I get more guides, I would run more safaris, but it would still remain, rather look at the quality of the experience and go to the right places at the right time. Yeah. I could very easily leave, leave my camp in the Mara year-round and run trips all the year round, but it's not going to be as good as it is from November to, uh, from, from June to November. I think quality, If and that's the thing, people often say they want to come in safari for 12 days and they want to go to... Mala Mala, then to Madikwe, then to Tualu, then to the Kalahari, and then maybe finish with Vic Falls. And you think, well, why not come for less time? Spend, a bit, spend the same amount of money you would have for two weeks. Come for one week, but double down on the experience. Make sure that your lodge is what you want. Make sure the game viewing is off the charts. Instead of rushing from one place to the next, embed yourself in one place, get to know it, because that's when the good images and experiences happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about Africa? There's three. Um, number one, I think they think it's dangerous. They're scared. Number two, they're worried about accommodation, where some of our lodges knock the hell out of any hotel internationally. And number three, they're worried about food. Like, I've got people ask, should they bring their own drinking water, right? Yeah. So how are you going to travel with 50 litres of water on the plane? It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so I think I think it's, it's not necessarily the animal side of it that they're scared of. I think it's... The logistics, the accommodation, the travel. And it is, it's, it's one of the main um, presentations I've done in the US over the last couple of years is myths and misconceptions of coming to Africa for travel. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's literally travel, accommodation, food. And then there's, I mean, oh, the animals are going to eat me and get snakes in my room and that. But, but the main thing is, is, I think, getting there and getting there safe. That's, that's the biggest concern. For anyone that's coming to Africa for the first time for their travel or is wanting to come, what is the yes. number one piece of advice you offer? your clients or anyone that's wanting to come? The first timers. I, I would, maybe the best thing would be is that once you've booked your trip, do the homework with your book and try and speak to the guide who's going to take you out where, where, wherever you're going. Because think about it. it you, the, the marketing people who you book with are going to tell you all the good things. The finance people are going to take your money, right? But once you get there, who are you going to spend between 8 and 14 hours a day with? It's the guide. So if, if I book me for a private, I'm with you basically 24-7. If you go to the Mara, you're going to be with Jimmy for at least 12 hours a day. Try and do your homework, but speak to the people on the ground who are going to build your experience. Because yeah. number one, it'll manage expectations. And number two, you'll get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It's real. So don't just speak to the marketing salespeople that sit in an office in Manhattan somewhere. Speak to the people who's going to be on the ground. Yeah. That's, that's where your experience gets starts from.
Yep. And on that experience note, if yes. someone is coming to the Mara for a safari mm-hmm. with you, yes. do you guys start the experience from when they land at the airport? Is, do you pick them up from the airport? Yes. So we, the moment you touch down in Kenya, someone from my team will be there. You'll know, obviously, before, will it be Billy or Mercy? If it's a private, I might be there. So you are in the wildlife fold from the moment you touch down until you leave. Even if you book extra days accommodation, we will still be there to assist with from the airport to your hotel, the day trips, and so on and so forth. And that, that to me, is a big deal. Oh, yeah. We don't outsource that. Uh, we keep you in the fold. So you always have one point of contact for everything, and that's vital. That's a huge thing for listeners to hear, is that you will meet them at the airport, and they are taken care of. 100%. You know, for these people that are a little bit, little yeah. bit dubious about coming, that is a big thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get it, 100%. I mean, I've walked out, and I've been to Kenya 500 times, in Nairobi, <laughs> and you walk out there, and it can be quite chaotic when you come out of the arrivals terminal, yep. and everybody's asking you about a taxi and that, you'll know, look for the chameleon, our logo, Mercy's there, Billy's there, you'll have their number, everything's there, so that's a big deal, and it, and it just takes that bit of anxiety out of the process. Oh yeah, big time, yep, yep, mm. yep. So, what is your go-to theme song when you're on safari or away from home? It changes. Uh, the last one that I had was Muses. Oh, man, I'm going to sing it to you soon. Hang on. <laughs> um, uh, something. It's called Something Human by Muse. Oh, yes. And it's literally, the song is literally about 10,000 miles from home, um, working, busy. Um, and then the song kind of gets you closer. So, that, that's a, a regular one. Um I've always been a Linkin Park fan, so their latest album, uh, One More Light, is kind of on a regular playlist. I've been enjoying Ed Sheeran's new collaboration, number six. I think it's a marvelous piece of art. It's great music. But it, it literally changes. I'm, I mean, I grew up, my, my grandfather did opera, so I grew up with opera. Sometimes I default to opera. Yep. You know what I mean? But again, it, there's not really, it's a mood. If you ask me this again three weeks from now, it might be different. Yep, so you don't have that song that you put on in the morning, five o'clock in the morning in your tent before you're about to take your guests on safari to get you in the focus, I, and you don't have I that? don't, hey? No, <laughs> Not like Rocky getting ready? Yeah, <laughs> Eye of the Tiger, go, go, go. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, I don't do a lot of music in on safari at the best of times, because it's kind of early morning, you just go into your, your routine. Sometimes in the evenings, if it's toward the end of the trip, kind of fall asleep to some music, but you're not... It, it's very kind of as and when needed. It's a bizarre yeah. thing. So what's next for you? Where are you headed to? What's on the radar? So, ooh, so a couple of, I mean, next safari happens, I think, three weeks from now. I'm back to Kenya for a week. Yep. Uh, after that, I'm back here in South Africa, moving house. Yay, very excited. <laughs> um, and then three weeks in South Africa, then I'm going to Monopools and Wangi, uh, back to Kenya for a workshop, and then I think that's it for the year. Project-wise, right now, I'm working on a whole bunch of marketing presentations, workshops, in the UK and the US, Australia is bubbling. Um, there's some stuff I can't share just yet, but that's bubbling. So project-wise, I think we're looking at, number one, scaling up. That's always for us a thing. So there's some new guys being interviewed next week. Um, there's the US marketing trips where I need to plan workshops, presentations. And yeah, I think that's that's kind of on the plate for the next couple of months, eh? Yeah. So when do you sort of head to the US so people can be on the lookout for you? So I am... Um, Doing Iceland, the first Iceland workshop we're doing. I'm hosting an Iceland photographic workshop from, wow. oh my goodness, 18 to 25 January. Wow. Is the first one. And then straight from there. So from 25 Jan to 17 Feb, I will be in uh, in the US. The cities we're doing on that trip is New York, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix. 
and then Marlon and myself go back to the US end of March, April, and we will be doing Dallas, Boston, Chicago, Washington, New York. Wow. There will be presentations, workshops. We're running a Wild Eye event in each city, and that's kind of what I'm working on now. So two and a half hour events, people can buy a ticket. It's like a $20 ticket, but we're doing like drinks, cafes, Q&A, presentations and stuff. So all of that's coming up soon, yeah. Okay, so anyone listening in the US, yeah. this is where he's going to be. Keep there an eye is. on his Instagram yeah. for that. And you can tackle him <laughs> for all the questions in the world. <laughs> So I just want to say a big thank you. Without amazing people like yourself, this project could never have come about and my love and passion for Africa could not be shared with the world on such a grand scale. You're very kind. Thank you for the opportunity to be involved. Um, yeah. If I could do anything else, let me know. And um, oh, it's been fun. Thank you so very much. Yep, so it's truly been my pleasure to chat with you. Um, if anyone is wanting to find out about wildlife photography or private guided safaris that you offer through Wild Eye, or if they have any questions for you, it is not hard to get hold of Jerry. Um, but what is the best nope. form of contact for you? Um, it, it would either be direct message on Instagram, it's Jerry from the Vault. Um, alternatively, email Jerry at Wild Eye, it's G E R R Y at Wild Eye, it's a dash in between, dot co dot Z A. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jerry, for taking the time to chat with us today. So if you would like to get hold of Jerry and talk to him about safaris that they offer or talk to him about wildlife photography or any questions you have for him, all his contact links are on our website, www.iheartafricaproject.com. And if you just click on the Meet Africa tab, his information is in there. Also, all his contact information will be shared on social media platforms at iheartafricaproject. So thank you very much for listening today. There'll be more exciting podcast episodes coming soon. So make sure you subscribe to get the notifications for the next podcast episodes. Go and follow us on social media. Look out for the hashtag iHeartAfricaProject. Go and see us on our website. Come and say hi. And let's share our experiences and stories of Africa and just show the world how truly amazing Africa is.